0: gentlemen welcome to the back truck podcast powered by otr solutions i'm james rooster bowen with me today is just a super trucker martin and our special guest today is chris shimoda from california Truck association how are you doing today sir
1: doing great rooster thanks for having me on
0: awesome well reason we have chris on everybody knows the fallout from Supreme Court not granted certitory for the AB5 case well here we are a little bit a little bit past the week and uh, it is about time we see some action out of California state and start uh, grading out the week from the chaff 8 to say on the companies that are following the rules and not following the rules. Chris uh, what is the Cta doing along with its partners? I know you' you've guys probably talked back to with the Oida about uh how to handle the next situation
1: yeah absolutely thanks guys um yeah so so first off, you're right on the timing we we found out on June thirtieth that our petition for review in the California trucking Association's lawsuit that we've been uh, engaged in since two thousand and eighteen successfully got the preliminary injunction preventing enforcement at AB5, which was overturned by the Ninth Circuit, but in place until the Supreme Court ruled um, on the petition, found out on the 30th that the Supreme Court was not going to be reviewing the case. And so that kicked our challenge back to the district court that uh, issued the preliminary injunction back in 2020. For what's called a trial on the merits of the case, and for the audience, the the reason why that's happening is that we actually went up to the Supreme Court um, before fully developing the facts on the case, uh, which happens when you when you seek a preliminary injunction. And so, um, we're working with the attorneys um, have been since the thirtieth plotting next steps. Um, a lot of You know, sort of boring court stuff is going to be happening um, over the next several months. Things like uh, setting the schedule for uh, discovery, uh, getting uh, dates for briefings set. Um, And we're going to be working with counsel to try to move through this process as quickly as possible. We know that the denial of the petition has set off a lot of uncertainty Um, In the industry and especially for uh, the 70,000 owner operators, you know, minimum that we know are operating in California Um, and so between continuing with the lawsuit and also uh, reaching out to uh, the governor's office and and other folks who could potentially weigh in on the situation. Uh, we're pursuing all possible pathways to try to get some certainty. We know we know there's there's just a lot of confusion and and uncertainty out there with uh, the Supreme Court not taking the case.
0: Uh, one of those pathways, I believe, is starting to make some headway is possibly using the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution. And for those that don't know what that's about, it's basically part of sec- uh, Article 1 that if you cannot create a law that causes undue hardship involving interstate commerce. So a lot of people are thinking that that may put out a pretty good foothold for you to stand on as you try to climb back up because you know ab5 has created a massive hardship on interstate commerce if you live in california it basically has changed the way the whole business model is
1: yeah that's right we did have a commerce clause challenge in the initial complaint the judge never ruled on it the preliminary injunction was really based on um, f4a preemption. and so Um, That is still in play. The federal preemption claims are also still out there. Really what we need to do at this particular point in time is uh, work to develop uh, the record for this case where, you know, I think we've seen it since uh, the 30th that clearly there are service interruptions and other major changes and impediments to interstate commerce that that are already happening as, as people are figuring out. Uh, what they're gonna do to comply with AB5. And so, you know, all of the various points of law that were raised um, initially back back when we sought the preliminary injunction, all all that stuff is still in play. And so we're gonna be working with the attorneys uh, moving forward as far as how, how to approach this, um, you know, at that trial court phase to continue to make the case. I mean, we still absolutely believe that AB5 impacts prices, routes, and services Um, In trucking, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're seeing the effects right now, right? So it's just a matter of converting all of these things that are happening into the work with the attorneys to, you know, continue these, these claims into the trial phase.
0: There is a lot of unhappy people out there, especially, you know, the independents. Uh, A lot of these people are 1099 contracted. And what a lot of people think this is, is nothing more than a tax money grab where, You know, the 1099s, they most of them pay their quarterly tax statements, but a lot of them will wait around to, you know, last day of the year to get them filed, get them paid in. Why? And basically, what AB 5 is forced is a lot of these independents become W 2 employees where they pay their tax money every week. And that's the generates a more constant, steady flow of money into the California tax coffers. What is the CTA's stance on this being mainly a tax game ploy?
1: You know, I, and, and this will, I, I think, throw us into the uh, the background of how AB5 came about. You know, this this really dates back to April of 2018 where the California Supreme Court, so not the U.S. Supreme Court, but California's own Supreme Court, had a case uh, that I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of. It's this Dynamics versus Superior Court case. It was uh, involved uh, drivers for a courier home delivery service. The California Supreme Court in that case departed from what was 30 years of the known worker classification test, um, in the state, which was known as the Borello standard, uh, which was, you know, essentially does the hiring entity have the ability to direct and control the work of the independent contractor. And there are several other factors that got weighted, but the, the. Uh, ability to direct and control the work was really the primary standard. Through this case, um, the California Supreme Court did away with that you know, long-held standard under Borello and adopted something known as the ABC test, which is right to direct and control, um, being the first prong, being in an ind- independently established business, uh, being the third prong. But this second prong, which is that the worker and the hiring entity need to be in separate lines of business. Or, or that the worker cannot be engaged in the usual course of business of the hiring entity is is really the problematic one. This was a case that centered around laws in California under our wage orders. It's things like minimum wage, meal and rest, and overtime reimbursements for uh, specific uh, types of expenses uh, to workers. Th- things like uniforms, you know, work boots, uh, stuff like that. And so th- that was really the the kickoff. You know, it, it didn't necessarily directly have to do with payment of of quarterly taxes or uh, payroll taxes, it it really came out of this case back in April of 2018, where we start our legislative year in California, um, typically in December. So the following December, this, this December of 2018, it was the first day of the legislative year, the first day you can introduce bills, sure enough, AB5 was introduced as a placeholder uh, by then Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez to um, take what the California Supreme Court had done in this dynamics case and put it into law, uh, not just for things like minimum wage, meal and rest, but for, you know, all facets of California tax, workers' compensation, um, and other laws. And then you know, went through that process and was adopted in 2019. So when you go back and look at the arguments back in 2019, when the bill was being debated, you know, it really boiled down to, um, I think most people in the industry are aware that, you know, the Teamsters and the trucking industry have been uh, in a disagreement about operators for decades, right? This This was not a new debate. Um, But what you really saw in 2019 was that the rise of the gig economy companies sort of kicked the debate into overdrive. Really, it was a, you know, sort of view of the uh, unions that the gig economy model was an existential threat. To you know a, a classic employment model, and so that really drove a lot of the discussion. Um, a good number of the debate, you know, if you actually saw what they were arguing about, was really focused on uh, rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft, or um, you know, other sort of uh, delivery network companies—the folks that uh, deliver food, uh, do referrals for uh, handyman services. Um, But if you look at the uh, folks who showed up to argue that they wanted, in fact, to be uh, their own independent business and uh, did not want things to change, I'd say probably 90 percent of the folks who actually showed up uh, to hearings and were out there protesting really were owner operator truckers um, who did not want to become W-2 employees um, as a result of this law. And so. You know, it it really was a debate around just the basic idea that, um, you know, somebody could go out in, in, you know, the case of an owner-operator trucker, put an investment into a truck, um, you know, in some cases obtain your own authority. In other cases, lease on uh, to a company uh, via the federal leasing regulations, but really start out on your own, um, become a small business for yourself, grow your fleet. You know, as you guys know, I'm not telling your audience anything they don't know. Um, You know, that that's really the core of the trucking industry and has been for for decades.
2: My first introduction to AB5 was other podcasts I was listening to that had absolutely nothing to do with truck driving. But some of the hosts or some of the guests were independent journalists or writers for different websites. And they got swept up into this whole thing because, you know, like everybody else, they thought that this was about going after ride share companies or gig economy companies like Uber and Lyft, where, yeah, you own your car and on paper, you're an independent contractor, but Uber and Lyft tell you where to go. People hail the rides through their app, not independently through you. So even though you're kind of setting your own schedule and you decide when and where to work, you're doing everything the company's telling you to do and all the expenses are levied on your end. When the lawmakers were writing up this bill, do you think that they realized too late that they were writing this too broadly and that they were going to be sucking in all these other industries when they were trying to go after, you know, specific targets? Yeah, there was
1: definitely a recognition that independent contractors service pretty much every facet of the economy. I mean, in any industry, you know, under the sun has some freelancing work within it. And so when you look at 85 today, there are 109 Distinct exceptions, carve outs, some industry specific, some, you know, sort of a set of conditions that you need to meet um, in order to meet the worker classification test,
2: including Uber and Lyft, ironically.
1: Uh, co- correct. Yes, Uber and Lyft <laughs> went to ballot in California um, and and did uh, successfully get a carve out. It was prop, uh, Proposition Twenty Two. The distinction we always you know, tried to make, uh, because, you know, the trucking industry is so different from rideshare is um, a a driver for Uber and Lyft um, in all likelihood is never going to strike out on their own and become Uber and Lyft's competitor. Whereas the history of the trucking industry, you know, is, uh, uh, you know, enterprising drivers going out and, you know, after getting a couple of years experience under their belt. Um, if they so choose, you could be a company driver for your entire career. Um, you could be a, you know, teamster driver, get a, get a pension, um, work for a single company, but other drivers take a different path, um, you know, get their own authority, start building their own fleets. That, that is really the crucial difference is, you know, o- owner operators who go out there and have success are building legitimate businesses, you know, with the vast majority of trucking companies in in the country, and California is no different. Um, being, you know, let's call it six or fewer trucks. Um, you know, this is the way that the industry, you know, ha- has been for for quite some time. Seventy percent of the registered motor carriers in the state of California actually just operate a single truck. Mm. So, you know that that is uh, again just the nature of the industry. Your uh, one day your best, uh, you know, driver may become your next competitor, which is definitely not the case for, you know, these big tech companies with the gig platform. So, uh, that was really how we tried to explain it to folks is, um, you know, let, let me put it another way. Our, our 2022 California trucking association president, as well as our 2021, uh, CTA president were both owner operators at the start of their career and then built their companies, um, over time. And, and, you know, that's, that's again, the upward mobility, uh, that's offered by the industry.
2: Yeah. So rooster, I don't think you have much experience with this being that you're out in the country, but I used to take Uber while I lived in Philly for years. And if you're a truck driver, one of the worst mistakes you can make when you're inside of an Uber is letting the driver know that you're a truck driver, because that's all you're going to talk about the entire time. I've I've run a couple of rides here
0: before. I know how that goes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I get in the car because I, you know, I work for the postal service. And if it was um, like a really bad snow day, I would just park my car at work the night before, take an Uber home and then take an Uber to work the next day. And uh, yeah, as soon as they tell, as soon as I tell them like where I'm going, they're like, oh, what do you do there? And I said, I'm a truck driver. And then it's just like, oh, my God, how do I get my CDL? How do I do this? How do I buy a truck? How do I do this? So that drive to become you know your own boss your own business owner etc that's deep in that kind of work with the the barrier to entry in the gig economy was a lot lower than it is in truck driving because it's like well i already own the car i'll just you know drive passengers around and make a little side money with this but you know there's a lot more money to be made when you own your own truck and as soon as you tell anyone that you're in that industry that wants to get in it it's like a thousand questions a minute. Chris, so you're not a driver yourself, but you are part of the California Trucking Association. Do you have to definitely keep your mouth shut when you're in an Uber or else you get pestered with questions?
1: (laughs) Well, you you know, unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say I've I've never gotten my CDL. I've got nothing but admiration for, you know, professional truck drivers and the skill, um, you know, that they, that they show every day. Um, but, yeah, as far as you know talking to uber drivers, i mean that that became everybody's uh everybody's hobby during the a b five debate was asking uh not just Uber drivers but you know obviously we interacted with a lot of owner operators during that uh, year during twenty nineteen uh, when the bill was being debated, and you know you just could not find owner operators who um wanted to give up. Um, you know, like you said, that uh, dream of owning your own business and building on it and being your own boss—you um, know—we we just did not find drivers who were, you know, seeking this out, right? Uh, if you you had told um, independent truckers, "Hey, um, there's a, a law on the books um, which you know basically means you got to be an employee," I, I think to almost to the driver. And I've seen surveys, you know, opinion surveys on this that confirm it. Um, There's a reason somebody goes out and uh, goes through the trouble of, you know, especially in this day and age with the cost of equipment, acquiring your own equipment, um, getting out there, in some cases, getting your own authority. Um, You know, we saw that with, um, you know, obviously the, the market is, is softening quite a bit, but when spot rates went crazy over the last couple of years, uh, the numbers bore it out. I mean, there was record number of authorities being applied for um, because, um, you know, people see that economic opportunity uh, to build a business and, and they follow it. You know, that, that is something, again, um, you know, I, I really got to question any law that, um, would not want to support, um, you know, that sort of, uh, entrepreneurial spirit and somebody getting out there and, and, you know, making something for themselves in terms of the business. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just real unfortunate, um, you know, how that whole debate went back in 2019 surrounding independent truckers. Cause, um, you know, I, I feel like the voice of what they wanted really just was not heard, um, you know, by the legislature.
2: Well, it's a lot easier, you know, the Uber, Drivers, I think, were a lot more on the ground, so to speak. You know, you any random person out there is taking a ride everywhere. They can see with their own eyes who it's affecting, and they can ask them questions like, "Why would you want to remain an owner operator? Why wouldn't you want to be an employee? Why wouldn't you want all these great benefits, etc.?" And I don't think enough people get direct feedback from truck drivers as to how this would affect them or even hurt them in some cases. Because I, I always stayed the company driver route. I never had any kind of itch of owning my own truck any, any, um, any, any positive light that I would see of like, okay, that sounds like a great idea. All I got to do is talk to three guys and they would say like, Oh yeah, I broke down for a week in Texas and I'm still waiting on a part. And I'm like, Nope, 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 Nope. You know, as soon as the, as soon as the numbers come out, you're like, wow, this is some big numbers. And then they tell you how much they're paying for fuel and maintenance and insurance. That just completely wiped out any inkling of me ever owning and operating my own truck. But rooster, you, you did go that route
0: yeah i did i mean yeah lord i was been over to company guy for 12 years i was like well if i'm ever going to strike out doing it on my own i can do it now you know with all these you know government programs giving up money you know uh the, all the starter programs and i like okay i'll do it then you know things happen but yeah just like you say you you know, it's great money when you get that checked and you when you start writing out checks of your own, it just goes away real quick. And, you, you know, some days you're eating steak for dinner, some days you're eating can of Beanie weenies.
2: <laughs> well, and I think a lot of these owner-operators coming in all at once and then going away and then coming back and then going away again, that's all thanks to these boom-bust cycles. You know, we've seen five of them just within five years up to 2021. I don't think enough argument in favor of, of something like AB5 takes the argument of like, this might be able, like it's going to be rocky in the short term, but hopefully it levels out in the long term. Maybe it'll help alleviate some of these boom bust cycles, but I don't think they realize the the people that are in favor of AB5. I don't think they realize that there are still people with like the mindset of like, I want regardless of the boom and bust cycles, I want my own independence. I want to run under my own authority and I don't want someone telling me how I should run my own truck.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, in terms of how we're going to get through this, um, you know, we, we keep on running numbers um, as far as impact. And, um, when you look at the number of motor carriers, like I, I, you know, just said that 70% of motor carriers are single truck operators. Um, in terms of total truck counts.
2: Is this California wide or, or country wide? So this is California. Um, specific.
1: Okay. Yeah. So the DMV motor carrier permit uh, numbers are, it's a little bit a little bit short of 70% is, is single truck. The, I think the, the number goes up to somewhere in like the 90% range are five trucks or fewer uh, for motor carrier permit holders. And in terms of straight truck counts, um, it's somewhere between let's call it a quarter to a third of the overall um, class eights operating in the state of California are going to be in that uh, one to three truck uh registered fleet so you know w- how are we going to get through this i mean you know clearly the vast majority of uh, you know uh, driver jobs are, are still company driver jobs that's what we see in the numbers but it does not take a huge number of that 25 to 30 percent um you know, either going away or having their opportunities severely restricted um, before you start having, you know, some visible impacts within California's supply chain. I mean, we saw it uh, throughout the pandemic with the, the numbers that I saw said it was, you know, roughly a 10 to 15 uh, percent increase in demand that sort of set everything off, um, you know, obviously with with global supply chain issues being being there as well but you, you just can't really mess with 25 to 30% of the trucks on the road, you know, in the state and not expect to see any sort of impact. And so we're really monitoring, um, you know, to, to the extent that we, we find out what folks are, are planning to do uh, to comply. It's a real mixed bag. Um, I, I think, you know, based on Uh, some of the education we've been uh, providing to the membership um, as well as non-membership over the last week. I I, I still do think that a lot of companies are are trying, you know, really struggling to figure out what to do um, at this point because, you know, as you guys know um, and and your listeners should know, the the law is not straightforward at all. You know, if you want to be a company driver, you know, in that respect, yes, it is very straightforward. Um, if you want to continue on as an owner operator, um, the option really is limited to this business to business provision that has 12 uh, distinct uh, requirements. Um, All 12 need to be met uh, to the letter of the law. Um, And there is not a lot of clarity on how uh, some of these provisions are going to be interpreted moving into the future. And so Um, You know, it's really uh, been difficult for companies as they as they start digging into what the law says, uh, figuring out a pathway uh, to comply and for independent truckers who want to stay independent. You know, I've been seeing uh, a lot of uh, chatter out there about, you know, hey, just go out and get your DOT authority and you're fine. Um, it's just a lot more complex than that, than that for, you know, folks that, uh, you want to do business with and want to do business with you. Um, you know, there's, there's these 12 points that all need to be hit and, uh, you know, not a lot of clarity on what is meant, um, you know, by some of those provisions. So, um, you know, it's just going to be, again, just a real struggle here, um, over the next, uh, weeks and months to try to figure it out. And I I just do not see any way, you know, we're not going to see some visible impacts within the supply chain uh, while all this is shaken out.
2: Yeah, that's a great point about just, oh, just go ahead and get your own authority. I see that comment all the time on social media. Anytime a thread breaks out about this type of discussion, people who don't drive a truck or have never owned their own business, to them it's just, it's always, oh, it's so simple. Just do X, Y, and Z. I honestly, I didn't even know about the whole 12-step thing right there. I mean, that's... I. I know how hard it is to try and buy your own truck, get your own insurance, you know, book your own loads, all that stuff. So all these guys that have been leased onto the companies, they have to do that all themselves now. And it's not as simple as you know, you've been making payments on this truck that you've owned for the last three years because you came on when freight was really hot and the truck was really expensive because everybody else had the same bright idea you did. And now the state's coming along and saying, no, you can't operate that way anymore. So now you either have to You know, one of the ideas Rooster had was, you know, changing your address. Well, okay, but the law only has seven days before it's put into effect. You know, you can't just up and change your address like that. This this idea that people have of like, oh, it's so easy to just do X, Y and Z when they don't realize just how complicated this kind of stuff is. I don't think they realize what an impact a law like this was going to have. We're just in the beginning of this right now as a matter of fact so i'm looking here at my notes the ports right now you know freight volume is increasing now on in the ports and over 90 percent of port truck drivers are lease operators what the heck are they going to do as far as getting containers moved out of the ports if none of these guys can operate
1: yeah i mean it is as you guys know you know the ports of la long beach um do about 40 percent of the entire country's um containers so i mean it's it's a huge issue um, from all the information we're seeing, um, you know, it does look like we, we had a little bit of a lull from uh, some of the COVID shutdowns um, back in China, but it seems like activity is picking back up, um, you know, heading yeah, into the bullwhip the the effect. It, 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 absolutely. Yeah, there were there were, uh, l- let's say, some high inventories on the uh, uh, retailer side. Uh, but things do seem to be ramping back up. Um, I, I do know that the uh, next several week container forecasts are getting back up to 2021 levels, um, which means that the drayage community is going to be extremely busy uh, leading into the holiday season, despite the fact that the, um, you know, the retailers seem to be uh, holding on to a lot of inventory that was, you know, past season and all the other stuff that happened. Um you know, with the containers being delayed to, to begin with but um, you know not just at the ports right we're coming into holiday import season here over the next couple of months. Um, California is one of the biggest um, agricultural states uh, in the entire country. Um, if you've ever you know driven through the Central Valley you see it's it's just nothing but farmland for hundreds of miles and uh, trucking is a huge part um, of harvest season. You know, running real hard for several months at a time, uh, getting uh, tomatoes, um, you know, every imaginable uh, ag product um, out of the fields at the first point of processing. Um, trucks are needed to do the finished products um, uh, for export to the ports. Um, for agriculture, we're in peak construction season out here while the weather's good. Um, You know, just the timing could not be worse um, for all of these various sectors that rely on independent truckers to fill in those gaps um, during peak seasons where where we have all of the major ones coming up or we're in the middle of them um, as we speak.
2: As well as the uh, port workers uh, being in the middle of no contract right now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's that's right yeah adding to the confusion with the lw negotiations is you know this variable and um you know it's, it's just going to be as um as difficult as last year was to get through for everybody you know if you talk to uh the folks who are in that industry you know they'll tell you they've, they've been running extremely hard for the last two years you know it's just been um you know absolutely slammed and whatever this is going to do, you know, to that equation. It's not going to be good from a operation standpoint. You can just, you know, see that coming clear as day. Have there
2: been any rumblings about a strike? Part of the power that unions have is the ability to strike, you know, when they really need to uh, put their foot down. But federal workers, it's illegal for us to strike. You know, we had that with the um, air traffic controllers in the 80s and Reagan fired them all. I don't think there's ever been a better time for unions if if your contract is up and you're trying to get more money and more benefits whatever um, i think your case is better now than it's ever been but it doesn't seem like these companies are in any hurry to try and you know raise the rates has, has there been any rumblings about a strike at all yes yeah. is, is it specific to the longshore folks yeah yeah. My,
1: my understanding of where the ILWU, uh PMA negotiations are is that um, they are still at the table. The contract has expired. And so the discussions are, are getting into that critical stage. But, um, you know, as far as uh, as of last week, uh, negotiations are ongoing. They're still having discussions. You know, the, the pain points really are uh, automation and um, you know, taking away jobs on terminal. And so there, there have not been any, you know, serious indi- indicators that a strike is forthcoming. Um, you know, really with, uh, again, this crush of imports that seem to be on its way uh, from Asia, um, you know, we, we are going to need um, everyone working at full capacity um, over the next several months to avoid the kind of ship backlogs that we saw uh, last year, you know, which if... Uh, you lived in the state of California, anywhere near the coast. I mean, you you could visually see the backups. Um, you know, I I was at an event, um, down in orange County, um, you know, probably 50, 60 miles South of the ports of LA and long beach and and the container ships were, were lined up all the way down the coast. Um, so that, that is, you know, the kind of situation we're going to be facing, um, you know, if if we're not, uh, you know, at full capacity to deal with all this stuff, uh, you know, when it happens,
2: the contract negotiations feel like they've been they've been kicking that can down the road for years now, and it's finally time to start getting serious about that.
0: Back to Trick up podcast is powered by OTR Solutions. Their company provides industry leading technology, factory services, tools, to support, help carriers and brokers start and grow a successful operation. Uh, speaking about standing up. Owner-operator companies, they're a great company to use. They can help you get your business email account set up, help you get you started off right with a proper proper tax status, uh, help you get your tools what you need to get paid sooner with great factoring tools. All right. Yes. Yeah, sp- speaking about the port, well, we had uh, Professor Sal Cagliano on last week talking about that on the podcast. Uh, basically, like you were saying, going through the history of automation back to the early 2000s when... You know the the booth workers were removed. That when you pulled up to the gate, they actually had to fill out the paper cards. The they had your appointments. Then you know a couple of years later, they started to get uh, some small amounts of automation into the scheduling operations. Uh, that is basically basically going to be one of the big parts you know, in us. How far automation is going to go? You have you know the. I believe it's, what is it? Shanghai. That's 100% automated. There's a, another port out, out in the Pacific. That's auto fully automated. And, uh, you know, h- how quick do those port operators the port authorities want to bring that technology over here? I mean, it shows, you know, about a 40% throughput over what, a uh, you know, mainly operated cranes and, uh, many operated lift trucks use, you know, it's, it's, it, it's kind of like that monster that's coming at you, but it will catch up to you.
1: Yeah, I, I believe it's Port of Rotterdam um, has some automated terminals as well um, as some of the Asian uh, ports. Um, out in California, we do have um, one fully automated terminal, and then another that is combined automated and manned. And you know, I, I I'd say on the trucking side. Uh, when we look at automation, you know clearly it's it's doable um, from the terminal technology standpoint, as as there are you know some internationally that are already running um, unmanned. But you know we we usually look at this more on the trucking side as okay, well, you know how quickly is that technology going to to you know have uptake in in the trucking side? Um, you know I, I don't know if you guys have had any of the Uh, the folks that are looking into this, you know, closely um, on on the show yet, but, you know, I I just do not see on the trucking side, uh, us having to worry about that directly um, for quite some time. Um, You know, having seen, I've ridden in in the back of one of these autonomous technology trucks, um, you know, it had a a safety driver behind the wheel on a route that that uh, particular company had done hundreds of times And the system's still disengaged, you know, a couple of times during our ride. And so, um, you know, just imagining, um, the technology getting to the point where you can take drivers out of the cab in my lifetime, you know, I'm, I'm 41. If it, if it happens during my lifetime, uh, broadly, I'll, I'll be shocked, you know, um, that, that just seems to be the state of the technology. I mean, I hear things like, well, you, you, uh, The system works great so long as there's uh, signage and uh, proper lines on the road. And uh, you know, I I just driving on the way home, I I see the lines disappear quite a bit (laughs) on the freeways. And and think all the time, well, what would the robot, you know, do in that situation? And so, you know, um, I, I. definitely get where the longshoremen are coming from in terms of that that technology is is a threat to their jobs today um you know just on the trucking side um you know i I think it's more of a these these startups are looking to gain a foothold but um i I always like to say a a, a person straight out of uh driving school getting their cdl today the likelihood that they're not going to be able to find a job you know until their retirement age uh, because of you know, losing a uh, uh, job to automation is is really not super likely. You know, you're going to need uh, drivers behind the wheel, especially in urban environments for, you know, a very long time uh, just because of the limitations of what, what that technology can do.
2: Yeah, my wife's a lawyer and we used to joke all the time about whose job's going to get automated first, mine or hers. <laughs> <laughs> Probably hers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does doc review or used to do doc review. And so like when you watching the news and they have like the fancy graphic of like a document being up on the TV and it has like all the black, lo- black bars redacting everything in the document. That's what those type of lawyers do. The, the people who do doc review, her and her friends were like explaining all this stuff to me. I was like, why don't they just have somebody write, you know, a couple of lines of code with some text recognition and then, you know, input the documents, output the, uh, the redactions and then just have somebody, you know, go over through, go over it all to, uh, make sure everything's correct. That would cost tens of thousands of hours of build um, savings right there, just, you know, from a couple of lines of code, but nobody wants to do that first, I guess. <laughs> just like nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be the first and nobody wants to be the last uh, autonomous truck company out there. It seems.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, it's going to be easier to automate drafting of a complaint uh, than navigating a 53 foot trailer, you know, through downtown San Francisco for sure. So um you know, as far as who's got to worry, I, I think, uh, you know, white collar professions probably have more to worry about in the uh, the near term, you know, than, uh, again, that, that guy just getting his CDL today, uh, you know, having to worry about losing his job to a robot.
2: Yeah. Well, when we talk about automation at the ports, you know, people think that it's going to be roboticized cranes and roboticized motors, you know, scooting these containers around. But a lot of it is really like the clerical stuff. Um you know, all this stuff. When we talked to uh, Sal last weekend, it was, you know, all this stuff used to be done handwritten down on paper. Um, It used to take a lot more clerks to check drivers in and out of the gates. So if you, so I worked at the Packer terminal in Philadelphia when I moved here in in 2014. And if there were 10 gates open that day, you would have 10 stevedores working at that gate, checking the trucks, checking you in. Then you got to go inside. There's probably another 15 people in the office personnel, you know, booking the loads and, dispatching all the trucks, and then you get out into the, the port itself and you have probably another 20 guys sitting around in white pickup trucks, you know, directing lost, dumb truck drivers like me where to go. And then you have maybe another 15 to 20 pickers, you know, guys operating the top pickers, taking the cans and putting them on the trucks. And then maybe three or four actual crane operators picking the containers up off the ships. But you could easily automate two thirds of the job right there. You know, you pull up to the gate and it's a, you know, scanner or whatever you punch in your load number. It tells you where to go and you just go about your, about your business. Those are the jobs I think they're more worried about than like, you know, stevedores or drivers, et cetera. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. And I I mean, as much you know, technology has come into the industry over the last, you know, let's call it 10, 15 years, you know, and and I know this is a a sort of family debate within the industry is, you know, are, are we short labor or not? Um, you know, I'll, I'll just say drivers are still in, in super high demand, you know, everywhere I go, um, be it, um, on the owner operator discussion or I was just on a panel, um, you know with a big national fleet who is company drivers um teamster company you know this this particular guy was was complaining about I can't get drivers I'm losing them to other divisions within my company um and so you know what whatever the impact has been of all this technology it definitely has not lessened the demand uh for the professional truck driver you know that's just a reflection of um, you know the the CDL holders are getting older on average. I think the average age of a private fleet driver is something like fifty-eight um, right now, and then uh, you know I think in the industry broadly it's it's approaching fifty. So um, you know we we got to figure out a way to get um, younger generations um, engaged with trucking. Um, you know, hopefully one of the, the side effects of this past several years, you know, the whole discussion around, uh, the role that truckers played during the pandemic, um, you know, the, the negative attention on the supply chain because of, uh, uh, you know, all the congestion, um, but, you know, and, and things not being available, but suddenly the average person who probably has never considered where groceries come from on the shelves or, you know, how they get their Amazon package delivered, um, you know, from, from Asia to their door in a couple of days, you know, are, are becoming much more aware of what it is that people who are in the goods movement industry, be it trucking, rail, ocean carriers, um, you know, everything that goes into uh, getting people what they need on a daily basis. I, I, I think that the awareness has never been higher know, in in the time that I I know I've been working at the association. So, you know, hopefully, that's a positive thing. Um, As far as getting more people interested in the industry, there seems to be a lot more awareness that, um, you know, that especially the the broader category of logistics is, you know, a real legitimate career pathway um, for folks who maybe, you know, don't want to go into uh, your traditional white collar professions. Um, You know, there's some real opportunity Um, as, uh, you know, we're moving away from this brick and mortar retail model, uh, into everybody wanting to get into logistics, you know, this is the industry to be in, um, you know, for, for the time being. And, um, you know, excited to see if that translates into uh, more young people getting interested in entering the business.
2: Yeah. I think the younger, the better. I, I started, um, I was in my mid to early twenties when I started and I think I was probably the perfect candidate for something like this because I was single, had no girlfriend, no family, no car, no house. Um, I had no like overhead, no bills or anything. In my class at Schneider, there were 72 of us. And you're talking about all backgrounds from lawyers and doctors and people that were homeless to people like me that were just working retail. And, you know, this was going to be my first, like, you know, big boy job kind of deal. I think, let's see, out of 72, 18 of us actually graduated two weeks later. And then maybe one guy that I kept in contact with, he, he finally got out of trucking like two years later. So you go from 72 people to just one. That was me. <laughs> and I kept driving for 15 years until I started you know this job. When people talk about the truck driver shortage, what they're really talking about is a turnover crisis. You know, I forget the actual stat, but in California, there were more drivers with class A driver's licenses than there were open jobs. It's just none of these companies can get anybody to work the job and stay there. It's like they they get hired on, they work for a couple of weeks or a couple months, and then they just get absolutely crushed because either the job isn't what they were promised or the lifestyle isn't what they were accustomed to or, you know, you name it. But it just, it seems to me that the it's the turnover that's the hardest it's, it's what's impacting this the most. And even like, you're, so the, the guy you said you were talking to was a, a, a Teamster guy. And even in the Teamsters are having a problem with turnover? Yeah, it's not, not so much
1: turnover. I, I think it's a reflection of, you know, as, as you guys know, the traditional path into the industry is is over the road. Um, you mm-hmm. know, if you're, if you're a driver with no experience, that's, that's, you know, at least in the past where, uh, drivers win. And it it's not an easy lifestyle. And I think even the over the road companies are starting to recognize that um, in this day and age, um, you know, drivers do not want to necessarily be away from their families for months at a time, uh, in a sleeper, you know, for months at a time, um, that this is not something that is going to translate into people um, sticking around. And so, Um, what I'm seeing from, uh, the company driver recruitment standpoint is a recognition that because, you know, some of these initial experiences are, you know, in, in some of the more difficult areas of the industry, um, the drivers are not sticking around to get that two years of experience or, or, you know, as you guys know, some of these private fleets used to be able to say, well, you know, we want someone with three to five years experience, clean record and rolling in to take the best of the best. Even um, some of those companies are having to say, we'll take a more inexperienced driver, put them through, um, you know, our our particular training programs and try to have them home five days a week because, um, you know, that's what we need to do in order to attract and retain drivers.
2: That's Um, exactly what the companies like Walmart were struggling with. You know, they always bragged that the number one reason drivers left Uh, driving for them was retirement and that worked great for them for decades and then all of a sudden just like with the postal service the fleet's retiring faster than they can be replaced Um, they were one of the hardest companies to get into when i first started driving and up until maybe six months ago you would just see ads everywhere i mean they were desperate absolutely desperate for drivers uh, to the point where they i don't want to say they lowered standards but they definitely lowered the requirements you know they wanted people with like six years plus experience. And I think the last I saw is they were taking anyone with uh, two years. But like you were saying that that pipeline from mega, you know, someone off the street to mega carrier getting experience and then going on to greener pastures, that pipeline is broken. Now guys come in, they go through a meat grinder and then they leave. They don't just quit that truck driving job. They quit truck driving period.
1: Right. Right. And, and, you know, that, that's hopefully where, um, you know, from this, this, I mean, it's been years now that I've been hearing these discussions, you know, amongst companies. And uh, I went to this forum where there was a, um, you know, sort of like uh, uh, worker recruitment expert um, on a panel and uh, going through all of the techniques about, you know, how to, to make your company drivers more happy, um, you know, how to recruit and retain, and it was sort of shocking to see that you know every company in there was already doing you know all of the techniques that were being recommended: your uh, referral bonuses, your hiring bonuses, your you know surveying of, of drivers to make sure that um, you know they're satisfied with how things are going with the company, uh, you know suggestions for improvements. It's just that. You know everybody is looking to hire experienced drivers with with clean records but you know again as you said um just that initial two years experience part is where um you know there's clearly a gap that needs to be addressed and you know from an association standpoint um, i know we've talked about um you know losing uh, in the state of california you can be 18 um, get a commercial driver's license work in trust state that's mostly going to be you know servicing the agricultural community uh, during harvest like kids kids back from high school will work harvest during the summer uh, very typical in the Central Valley um, but you know as far as um, losing drivers to other trades um, since on an interstate basis you can't drive until you're 21 I know that that's not necessarily. You know something that's um agreed upon by everybody um in the industry um but you know you, you guys remember how it is you get out of high school you, you're starting to look for the trade that you're going to take up uh potentially as a career uh for the rest of your life and you're losing people to construction you're losing people to other sort of trade occupations you know just by the fact that you you cannot get a commercial driver's license until you're 21. Um, and so I know, you know, the, the ATA is working on a pilot right now um, for 18-year-olds to potentially be able to get CDLs in the future. Um, but, but that's, you know, at, at least one thing that we've identified from a, from a policy standpoint. If you lose out on that three years of being able to, to you know, get to uh, young adults as they're figuring out what they want to do for a living, that, that's, you know, a lot of workers who may potentially enter... Uh, The industry that you're just going to lose out on.
2: Yeah, I used to drive for a company in Tracy, California, and I never realized because of the geography, you know, San Francisco, Oakland, those areas don't have the space really for the giant warehouses that, you know, say a Walmart or a Home Depot requires. So all the distribution centers for businesses in the Bay Area are in Tracy. And so that entire town is reliant upon truck drivers. And I used to say all the time, if you have a a CDL, and you live in Tracy, California, and you don't have a job. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. My only concerns now with this, with all this, is really the unions had their own f- reasons for for wanting to squash the independent operator business model because they want to have more members come in. But even you know, it sounds like even the Teamsters are having a hard time trying to recruit new members. I I always had a problem with that whole business model. You know, I was I was a union member when I was in the postal service. And when you get in to the postal service, there's different unions for different crafts, but there's really only one union that you can pick from and it's whatever that union is. So just like how trucking companies have to compete against other trucking companies, there's no competition amongst the unions for members. So if if I am somebody trying to sell my labor to uh, a labor union, I don't have a choice on which, which one I go to. It's either the union or nothing. And depending on what state you're living in. I I think California does the same thing where, you know, you don't have to be a a dues paying member to reap the benefits of being employed somewhere that uses union labor that also pays, you know, the union wages. So how, how are they trying to combat stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, you know, the,
1: the industry obviously since deregulation has, has changed with respect to um, union membership, um, you know, I've, I've seen numbers pre deregulation and post that was, you know, I've seen anywhere from half of drivers used to be Teamster members pre-1980 to, I think I see typically around less than 5%, um, of the industry is unionized, um, today. Um, you know, I, I don't know how accurate that, that number is, but, you know, you, you see it in, um, you know, you, you've got the big parcel, uh, employer. Um, some less-than-truckload carriers. A lot of the private carriers um, are Teamster um, operations, um, and you know the the just the vast majority of the industry, you know today, um, are smaller companies, um, typically non-union, um, and. You know that that's just the result of deregulation and um you know what happened when uh you remove that barrier to entry to get uh authority to operate and so um you know i i don't necessarily see um that changing just because you know again the vast majority of trucking companies i think on a national basis it's something like 96 percent of trucking companies are 20 or fewer trucks And so, so long as that's the case, and, you know, you can debate uh, the pros and cons of, um, you know, whether whether deregulation was good or bad, that's probably its own uh, separate hour uh, podcast. But, you know, nevertheless, (laughs) that that is, you know, where where we are today. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know that anything fundamentally changes with regards to union membership. Um, What really changes with AB5 is, um, you know, opportunities for owner operators. I mean, that's that's sort of what what keeps getting lost in all of this is, um, you know, you cannot force anybody to be an employee that doesn't want to be an employee. Uh, Faced with that choice, um, we've heard anecdotally um, from one of our member companies that when um, offered the chance, you know, do you want to become a company driver? You know, Otherwise you're going to have to go, you know, do something to comply with this. Um, it, it's something like 90 percent of the drivers want to try to find a way to continue to be independent. And so, um, you know, that that is going to be the effect of 85 moving forward is really forcing these drivers that do not want to make um, you know, weren't asking for and, and aren't really thrilled about having to make these choices now, um, it's it's really restricting their opportunity. I don't, I don't know what else, you know, positive comes out of this because, um, you know, like you were saying about the town of Tracy, I mean, just apply that to the country right now. If you've got a commercial driver's license and a clean record, uh, you could walk into pretty much any, any company, get an employee driver job today um, that would, you know, at a minimum pay more, you know, definitely than it has, you know, at any point in the last 10 years, um, with how intensely, you know, these companies have had to compete for drivers. So, um, you know, that, that opportunity has always been there. It's just this choice of going out and being your own boss and doing your own thing. That's being, that's being foreclosed.
2: Yeah. Especially the companies that pay per hour, not per mile. Um, I saw some of the numbers, like last christmas that these kind of ups in my area were throwing out and i kept telling my wife you know i am always saying no to these numbers but it's getting harder and harder with the, <laughs> some of the numbers are throwing out now and right. it wasn't until a job where i can work from home came about that i actually got out of the truck so you know until we have completely remote piloted vehicles you know i don't see that being an option for a lot of drivers out there
1: yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> And you know, I'll just say, I know uh, we're, we're coming up on, on an hour. Just uh, yeah. one, w- one final thought uh, for your listeners. You know, I, I, I think what really keeps me up at night right now is this AB5 decision is not happening in a vacuum um, in the state. We've got a deadline coming up at the end of the year um, for a regulation that's been on the books for, for quite some time. It's the truck and bus rule. Of Mayor Resources Board, that um, uh, especially we've, we've got a couple of tens of thousands of owner operators who are still operating uh, 2007
0: through 2009 trucks.
1: Ah, yeah, need to um, upgrade to a 2010 or newer model by the end of the year. You know, they're going to be faced with a decision of: Do I go out and take on the expense of? You know a brand new truck has never been more expensive and never been harder to find uh used compliant trucks are practically um the same cost as a new uh, as a new one right now um you know there there's a couple tens of thousands of drivers that are going to need to be making that choice by the end of the year you know if they can even find um the equipment because all the shortages from the oems um another one that's coming down um in 2024 proposed hasn't been adopted yet is the air resources board is actually starting to talk about a zero emission truck rule Uh, they're trying to adopt that regulation in october of this year and the first uh deadlines would start in 2024 so for instance in the ports you would not be able to bring a new truck into um, any of the ports or intermodal rail yards in the state of california after 2024 unless it was zero emissions with no exceptions so
2: that's ins- that's insane because all you got to do is go on tiktok instagram anywhere mm-hmm. where drivers are, are live streaming where they're at at those ports and just look at the lines every single one of those trucks is anywhere from you know 10 to 15 years old now they all have to be replaced those trucks that they're replacing them with just do not exist you know right now the the wait times are are getting lower but, you know, when we had Ingrid Brown on a couple of weeks ago, she was talking about, you know, what was it, Rooster? Like two three months, just a wait period just to buy a truck for yourself? Uh, well, we had
0: done an article on truckup.com Uh started off talking about trailer builds, you know, that trailer build backlog. I mean, uh, Great Dane still has not opened up their 2023 build calendar for anybody wanting a new trailer. But, yeah, she was talking about the, the Peterbilt plant. And getting on on their production calendar, you know, there's people actually making money off of selling build slots because they're tired of waiting on on their own truck. You know, they can just go buy a used truck now and be satisfied. But you know, with that uh, with that engine rule coming into play in California, that's going to upset a lot of people, and you know not getting a a new truck's almost possible of crate motors i you know i don't know exactly what the motor what the rule is about just being able to do crate swap in a motor would that comply but that's that could be an option if it is legal and to swap in a 2010 or newer crate motor but you know that's a that's a whole nother ball game
1: yeah, for for the end of the year deadline, um, it, it's got to meet this EPA twenty ten standard, which you know basically means you, you need to have the diesel particulate filter in place. I, I don't think any of the manufacturers figured out how to hit that standard without uh, an SER, you know, urea system, and so I, I haven't looked at it in a while as far as if you can repower to hit that standard, but. You know, mo- most people have just been looking, you know, the, the assumption was that, okay, we're, you know, it's the 2010 model, year newer, and by 2023, you're going to have a pretty robust used market. Um, nobody saw what's happening today um, happening, you know, back when they adopted this regulation. It's like, who, who knew that you were going to have uh, chip shortages and shortages of just basic components, you know, leading to everybody holding on to used equipment because demand's so high, you know, I know that's shifting a little bit right now, but still, you know, the expectation is that we're not going to have the number of trucks that we need to replace everything that's going to age out. Now, when you factor in, okay. And then a year later, you're going to turn around and make everybody uh, go electric, you know, hydrogen fuel cell. I mean, you might as well be talking like, Hey, yeah, you, you need to get in a rocket and go to Mars by 2024 for how complex, you know, that transition is. Um, and when you combine, you know, I I said the other day, I put it out on Twitter, and I'll, I'll stand by the statement, you know, the bill is coming due for years of bad policy um, on trucking in the state of California. Um, 70,000 owner operators for AB5, you probably got a couple tens of thousands more for the truck and bus rule and then you know who is going to especially in this environment uh go out and invest uh three to four hundred thousand dollars on an electric truck with nowhere to plug it in
0: um you know needs oh uh, don't 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 even start with electric trucks i mean that's <laughs> that's uh that's a nightmare so especially california you don't have the political grid that withstand all that extra power needed
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, and he it, can't handle it. it. It's overall power. We don't have it. I mean, they're, they're warning uh, <laughs> this summer. We might, uh, you know, have another summer rolling blackouts. Um, you know, we've had all these fires um, that leads the, the utilities are just, you know, shutting off portions of the grid when it gets windy um, in the state. And so, you know how any of this is going to work. I mean that that's really what's keeping me up at night. Is um, you know y- you just cannot play these kind of games with you know especially trucks. I mean as much as you know people you know, wish you could do it all on rail or, you know, I, I mean, I even, I, I run into people that think, well, why don't we just do cargo bikes and stuff like that? These, these people do not understand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that.
0: It, it would take a lot of cargo bikes to haul 80,000 pounds.
1: Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You better, you know, you better have a bunch of uh, Lance Armstrongs and uh, you know, uh, people that can uh, you know, haul a 53 foot trailer on a bike if you think that's going to work. But Uh, You know, I mean, these people just are not in touch with what it takes to run the modern supply chain. I mean, 80 percent of all goods exclusively hauled by truck. And that's not going to change, you know, for the foreseeable future. And, um, you know, when you when you start talking about, I mean, you know, 30 to 40 or 50 percent of the state's trucking capacity, um, you know, that that is not going to go unnoticed. Like a lot of times when we're doing our job. you know the supply chain tends to be invisible. Um, you know people don't really notice it when things are going smoothly, but when stuff breaks down, you know you, you start seeing it right. Bare shelves, increased prices. Um, you know the Halloween decorations aren't getting getting there in time. You know that sort of stuff. Um, you know we're we're really starting to get into that territory where I I, I don't see any version of this where the industry just absorbs you know, all of these bad policies, and nobody notices a drop off in, in, you know, just basic services that we provide. So, you know, that that's just factoring on top of AB5 is just all of these other things that are being proposed or or coming down the pipeline, you know, it's going to be a rough couple of years, to say the least.
2: It's, it's, uh, my my food comes from the grocery store mentality on steroids, but (laughs) lawmaking.
0: (laughs) Yeah, one last question, Chris, and this is actually coming from uh, over on the freight wave side of things. Uh, has the CTA heard anything about a uh, possible driver shutdowns and protests going on? Uh, there's been a little bit of rumbling on social media about it, and well, you haven't found anything else to you know complement that theory. But have you heard anything out of out of your f- folks out that way?
1: You, you know, probably not anything different than what you guys are seeing on social media. Um, you know, just like when a b five happened back in twenty nineteen, you know i I do think you're gonna see um, owner operators organizing to oppose what's happening right now. I mean, you know we we did not see we did not see protests in favor of a b five back in twenty nineteen. It was all. <laughs> opposition and i and i do think um you know as word is getting out about what this law is going to do uh to the owner operator community you're going to see um you know it's probably not going to be um centrally organized i think all the various groups um that the drivers belong to you know there's a bunch of like owner operator facebook groups and you know things of that nature um, I, I think people are going to start uh, organizing themselves to protest um, just the way they did, you know, three years ago when this law was being debated. So um, I, I, you know, whatever's happening this week, I think it's probably the first of much more to come um, as owner operators start seeing their opportunities evaporate. You know, I, I would expect a, a response um, from the communities.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had the similar climate that we did three years ago. Uh, rights were down uh drivers were not real happy about it they were thinking the brokers were screwing them over you had the natural uh communication going through the facebook groups social media then you started to get these smaller groups congealing into larger groups you had this big uh group out of Laredo, texas all of those uh, cross-border guys they finally got fed up with it they you know, made a call to action, and it, they wound up going to Washington D.C. for a couple of weeks during the, you know, the, the middle of Trump's presidency and that whole sit-in up at D.C. So I, I'm kind of thinking we may have something. I don't know if uh, Governor Newsom will like having truckers park in his front yard for a couple of weeks, but uh, that might that might help some things.
2: I don't see us having Canadian-style trucker convoys in California exactly. <laughs> or like what Chris said, they're just, they're just not centrally organized, you know, they're too, you know, the unions had it right with the organizing, you know, they're all under one umbrella, the Teamsters, but the independent guys, you know, it's, a, it's trying to get truck drivers to get together to protest is like herding cats, you know, and then even if they do, you know, chances are a bunch of money ends up missing, you know, months later. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Um, Where can people follow you online to find out more about AB5 and your pushback against it?
1: So, um, you know, I'm active on Twitter. It's at Chris Shimoda handle on Twitter. I I put out most, you know, important information through that channel. Otherwise, um, you know, follow the California Trucking Association at CalTrux, Uh, anything you know? Any major developments? We'll definitely be putting out through Twitter. Uh, I've yet to get into TikTok, guys. You know, I'll, I'll leave that to the professionals. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Any any uh, breaking news? We'll definitely be putting out uh, via social media. So uh, yeah, definitely check my Twitter out.
2: You've you've got to have some intern there at uh, CTA that can uh, hop on TikTok and get this stuff out for you guys.
0: <laughs> biz Biz Talk is a thing, man. Biz Talk is a thing.
1: I was gonna say I'm, I'm 41. I think I, I missed the age cutoff to download TikTok, so um, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to Twitter uh, for the time being.
2: I'm 39 in a month and I'm killing it on TikTok. I love yeah. what you're talking about <laughs> There you go. There you go. No one over the age of 40 is allowed. So, you <laughs> I have, I have year left. So, all right, folks. Thanks for joining in. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you can find us at backthetruckup.com on Twitter at backthetruck and anywhere else you find us on major social media platforms thank you for tuning in and we'll see you guys next week